Good morning. Everyone have a good Christmas? Amen. Happy New Year. There we go. All right. I have uh, anticipated this morning because we are kind of coming out of a series and before next week we'll start a new series. This was one opportunity that I believe uh, God has given me to tell you that I believe you're a different church. And I believe that God is stirring and and. As I was asking the Lord, what would you have me say to your people? Like, what do you desire to say? He said, I want you to ask them, what do you want me to do? I want you to ask them to ask of me, what do you want me to do? And, and then as I was driving back uh, just last night in our traveling um, from Christmas, I, I heard a sermon on Romans 8.28 and it was, uh, it was amazing. I was like, Lord, are you prompting me to put that in the sermon? And it was a no because I didn't know it, but we walked in and we were singing that earlier. We were singing that. So God is already stirring. God is already having his way with us. And I just pray that we would continue to let him to. As, as we witnessed through the Advent, celebrating that this past month, uh, we realized that Jesus is the love that changes the world. In his coming, we witnessed the prayers of the barren and the old and Zacharias and and Elizabeth answered in the son and the birth of John the Baptist. We, we saw the virgin birth take place miraculously in Mary and Joseph. We witnessed the lowly shepherd be deemed preachers. We saw the prophet and the prophetess attest to the messiahship of Jesus. And in his ministry, we witnessed the blind see. We witnessed the demon possess freed. And we witnessed the dead raised. In his death and resurrection, we witnessed the orphan adopted. We witnessed all mankind, all peoples becoming one. And we witnessed his church, the covenant formed in his blood, the New Testament church birthed. What I'm saying is in Jesus, we witnessed our hope. We witnessed a hope of life without struggle, without pain, without sorrow or the struggle and fight for a throne that was never intended to be ours. We witness a life on earth as it will be in heaven. And this hope, as he walked the earth, this hope was rising most of all in his own disciples. And when they came to him and asked him, if you change everything, then change the way we pray to. And he did. And that's what we want to examine today. We want to look at how Jesus taught his apprentices to pray. And around here we have a saying, we want to practice the ways of Jesus. Well, Jesus' ways were to bring heaven to earth. So that should be manifest in his church on earth as it is in heaven. The way he taught his disciples to pray, it wasn't a mandate for religion. And it also was not a lifeless ritual, a manuscript, as they had experienced already. Let me ask you this. How many of us have experienced that manuscript? Wrote prayers that seemingly are lifeless, recited as ritual. That's not what he asked us to do. That's not what he gave us. Though I love liturgy, that's not even what I'm speaking to you. He says, do not simply recite and make yourself uh, a product of recitation or recitation. 
It says this, it was a template by which we are all to position ourselves when we come to a loving and holy God as we come to him in prayer. It reads like this from Luke 11. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What I'd like to do today is ask you to listen and listen rather intently that we might pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Most of Jesus' ministry in prayer life was spent listening. You do know that. As he would go to the Father, he spent most time listening. And so intentionally, I have lots of Scripture, and I just feel like Scripture gets the opportunity to answer Scripture here. And don't you just love when Scripture affirms Scripture? So in every point, I'm not going to have all the Scripture I'll read today on the screen because I hope intentionally that we would listen. That we would, point one, pray like Jesus and put ourselves before the Father, willing to listen. The word Father here is translated Abba in the Aramaic, which means Daddy. The very first thing that Jesus teaches us, His people, to do when we come to the Father in prayer is to come to Him through a term of endearment, through the, the word that many children say first when they're learning to speak, Daddy. Come to him like in Matthew 6 when he records, he says, If your heavenly father were to give you gifts, you would never give as a father gifts to your children that would hurt them. So your heavenly father who loves unconditionally would do so even more. Come to that father. It says communicating with an intimacy that we enter into the Lord as we seek Him in prayer. This intimacy is the very first thing that Jesus establishes with His disciples as He says, I want you to pray. I want you to come to Him like He would say later in His ministry that all the children must come unto Me and willingly expect, willingly anticipate, and almost a little bit blindly follow because they just want to climb into the arms of their father. Because that second word that I want to highlight today is hallowed, means set apart, holy, or unrivaled in affection. Such unmatched praise within one's life. You see, this kind of devotion that Jesus teaches in Luke 14 to God and simultaneously a disassociation from man that teaches that Jesus teaches in to his disciples in Luke 14, 26, I'll read it. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot otherwise be my disciple. He goes on and says that unless you daily take up your cross and follow me, you cannot otherwise be my disciple. So what is Jesus saying about hallowed and set apart and unrivaled in affection is the Father to be in our lives. He's saying that you are to daily surrender. Daily take your agenda, your will, and place it at His feet. And do it 
because you so desire to be with him above anyone else on the planet. And so this, this sounds like great preacher speak, right? I want to tell you that we've already experienced it. How many people here have ever fallen in love? Hands raised. Been in love. How many of you remember the friends you would diss and the, room, the, the girls that you would not go out with because you stood in your dorm waiting for the phone to ring just because he might call? You know what I'm talking about? You've already seen yourself disassociate from everyone else because somebody took primary position in your life when it came to the issue of affection. Could not stop thinking about them. Just wanted to be with them all the time. Constantly hoping that you would hear their voice. And how many of you, like me, even, even uh, didn't have a whole lot to say when they would call? You just wanted to know they were on the other line. And with you. Anyone have that date long distance like, like we did where we'd have like an hour, like nothing said. We're just running up minutes on the phone bill. But she was there and I was there. You know, this is what he's talking about. That your love for me disassociates you from any other man or affection. Uh, a precursor, a picture to the promise that, that all married couples who fall in love and intensely become more and more in love as they walk towards the altar to make a promise and simultaneously receive a picture that in this middle kingdom, in this, in this temporal time that we have here of the covenant that God desires with his people, father to child, the kind of covenant that is evident only in the marriage, husband to spouse. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you fell so hard for that person you were in love with? Hands raised. How many of you also learned that marriage is incredibly difficult? And it was never intended for your happiness. It was intended for your holiness. That pieces of your flesh begin to fall off. That you become one. That, that the you that we knew becomes less important. And the, the newness of you and her or you and him becoming one. And that image is so much more important. You see, I married a, a firstborn. I myself am a firstborn. Anyone know what that means? You see, when we would have discussions, we both like to win. I remember dodging candles in our first year of marriage. I remember her chucking things at me and me saying things I could never get back. I remember a Big Mac that I gave her one time that ended up all over our living room because I didn't hand it to her. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyone ever been married before? First year of marriage, real special. But leading up to that point of that promise, this was the only person you wanted to spend time with. And when you got with that person, you recognized how incredibly selfish you were, how incredibly self-focused you were, how, how much it was about your agenda. And that was the thing that was going to be stripped away. And when we come to God, that's the thing that is still being stripped away. I want to come back to that word father for a second. Here's the thing. I want to point out one thing that, that kind of distances all of Christianity from any other religion. When, when Jesus says that we're to reference him like a father, 
And he himself said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, because I am in him and he is in me. We are one. And I pray in John 17 that they would all be one with you, Father, like you and I are one. You see, when Jesus says, you call on him like your daddy, like a preschooler climbs in the lap of their father, that distanced him from any other false religion on the planet and any false God that was parading itself as a deity. And that would have hit the ears of Gentiles who were pluralistic in their worship and it would have severed and made it different. Why? Because like today, all false religions worship demons parading as false gods who are going to control their people with fear, not faith. They're going to beckon a list of do's and don'ts from their people to appease them so they might just not smite their people. It is not affectionate. It is not mercy-driven. It is not loving or compassionate like a father. Jesus is saying, I do change everything. My relationship to the Father changes everything. If you're going to learn to understand how to live in this new world, you have to begin to listen to your Father, who is God. And He is different than anyone else you've ever encountered. We see Jesus instruct that all prayer begins with this humble positioning of the heart. As we place ourselves prostrate before Him, even if that's only in heart, We put ourselves before him. And he says, hallowed is your name. Be constantly aware of his presence and constantly obedient to whatever he says of you. Let me ask you a question. I'm firmly aware of our deficiencies and most aware of my own. But how many of you would just say that maybe, slightly possibly, you are a little deficient in one aspect of the Trinity more than the others. Maybe you know the Father. Maybe you know the Son. But how many of us know the person of the Holy Spirit? The one that He was given, given to us at the raising of Jesus at the cross for all who have trusted on that name. And we are incredibly aware constantly of His leading us, guiding us, directing us. Or how many of us would say, I'm probably a little deficient when it comes to the Spirit? Okay. You see, Jesus is asking for us in the way that he opens this line of prayer. That we would continually and always be aware of what the Father desires. It beckons that we continually come to him and model his prayer life, which was mostly listening. Listening to what the Father would have while we commune with the Spirit in a place under Jesus' name where we we create a safe space where He can speak to us, His children, father to child, that we might ask a really important question that I've already said and I'll say again. What would you have me do? In In the very celebrated conversion of Saul Tarsus to Paul in Acts 9, one of the most powerful words we see there as he embraces this new life in Jesus, he he cannot deny it. He can't, he can't uh, argue it away. Here comes Jesus in a light that blinds everyone around him. And he hears this booming voice. And Paul's response is one that we all need to get familiar with. Lord, I can't deny you. 
what would you have me do? Lord, there's no fighting you anymore. I'm not going to kick against your prodding or leading. God, what would you have me do? And see, that's really important when you come to the second point because we have to pray like Jesus in order to live like Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we watched Derrick Henry break off a historic run here in Titan Stadium. 99 yards to the house, right? Anyone know? remember what I'm talking about? Saw that. How many of you cheered for that? That was awesome. Yeah, my wife and I were present. It was uh, 40 below. It was so freezing, but we were like excited. Saw that historic run. Only happened one other time in the history of the NFL. Tony Dorsett did that. He matched that. And how many of you found yourselves talking about what he did in that run? Continually, professionals who were paid millions of dollars to tackle this man found his arm in their face mask, right? As he runs and completes a touchdown 99 yards from the line of scrimmage. I asked the Lord, God, what do you desire that I ask your church? He said this, and I, this is, is my own prayer time. Please ask my church to stop Heisman posing me. Please ask my church to stop giving me a stiff arm as I prod and I lead and I move. Please ask my church to stop stiff arming me in my leading so that they might live like me, so that my kingdom can come and my will be done just like it was when Jesus was present with you on earth as it is in heaven. The word kingdom there is basileia. And when you pair that word kingdom with arikomai, in the Greek, erikomai, to come. This is, this is the beauty of Jesus and making it simple for us. That's better translated. Your kingdom, let it happen. I won't be found stiff-arming you. I won't be found on the end of your movement. You won't find opposition from me, your church, your follower. Your kingdom, just let it happen in me and around me. Matthew 26, 39. You see, the beauty of Jesus is that he's never going to lead his church, his apprentices, those who want to walk like him, to pray in a way that he himself has not prayed or ask in a way that he himself has not asked. It says that he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, the Father in here won, and they've been in dialogue forever. We read this passage, and I think we read it um, too quickly. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Paul's stop here, and for hours, I believe, we hear Jesus just listening, waiting for the Father's response. I think we see him sweat drops of blood because he's drawn to such a place of angst that he'll be separate from the Father as he takes on the sin of the world. I think he is there listening before the Father, waiting for any response the Father can give. And when he hears nothing, he says, okay, we'll proceed as planned. Is this a marking principle of your prayer life, my prayer life? That we ask of the Father and then we stop 
and we allow and we await and we anticipate and we expect the Father's response. And when we hear nothing, we go, okay, thank you for speaking because we'll proceed as planned. Thank you, Father, because it's not silence that I've heard. It's affirmation. Hello? That we will continue as planned. In the... um, I love, I love Hillsong United's version of the song, So Will I, 100 Billion. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. There are some lines that I have been just listening to and in my own preparation time, my own worship time, I hear about the stars who respond, the mountains that respond, the oceans that respond, how the rocks cry out in silence. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out and all of creation exists to lift you high, will the church as well? Or when God in our listening speaks, does he find this? God, I will, but that's not I will. I will, however, that's not I will. That's no. That's not yes. That is no. And Jesus modeled for us a life of prayer that listened and a life that lived and followed wherever Jesus would lead, our Father would lead. And if Jesus has instructed and left to us that Everything around us, those who are in bondage and in our midst all the time, family members, friends who are lost and without hope, in bondage, enslaved to sin, when they turn and they see the church willing to stiff arm the one they say they wear his name, what hope do they have? What hope can they have when the church goes, your kingdom come under my authority. Your kingdom come if I say yes. Or a church that goes, your kingdom come, let it happen. I'm willing to do whatever you desire or wish. In Galatians 5, it says that in order for us to bear spiritual fruit, like true spiritual fruit of the Spirit, and and I could ask you to list it because you've been listing it since preschool. Love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. In order for those things to come from us, it requires only one command in that entire passage. One. It's not that you work through this list and start to starve off the flesh and start to try to deny that one by one so that you can be more patient. It is this. Submit to the Spirit and this will naturally come forth from who you are. You submit to the Spirit and supernaturally these things will come out. You'll become more patient. You'll become miraculously more tender. You submit to the Spirit, you'll be miraculously more resolved to endure things that your life is certain to go through. Much like we prayed last week and we, we recognized Wang Yi, pastor in, in Chengdao, China, who was taken on December 9th along with his wife and a hundred of their members, and we still can't find them. When they were taken into captivity, he had the resolve to write to his church in advance to encourage them. This is what the gospel is for. And my life is hidden in him. I may go be with him right now. Amen. I have the resolve. 
because of what he's done in me. I'm submitted completely to what the spirit desires here. Whatever he wants, even if I disagree and even if I'm righteously angry, I submit to that and I desire it. We only come to that place through our own submission and our own listening. It's incredibly difficult to know what we are to do when we never hear the directions. If we're the ones talking through God's answer, we don't hear how God instructs. It's incredibly difficult as his church to offer hope to a world that's in bondage, enslaved. When we ourselves are never listening to the one who's trying to instruct us. And when we don't have the resolve to submit to do whatever he says, wherever he sins, whatever he asks, to do it because we are not our own. And we're not fighting him any longer for a throne that we never were intended to have. It's him. Bob Goff wrote it like this just a couple weeks ago. He tweeted it, and I, or two days ago, and I loved it. I said this. He says, the way we deal with uncertainty says a lot about whether Jesus is ahead of us leading or behind us just carrying our stuff. What is the most crippling thing that we as Americans face if it's not uncertainty? We want everything mapped out. We want to know in advance. Your kids want to know in advance. How many of you have been on a road trip? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? We all want to know. But throughout his ministry, Jesus affirmed to his disciples, you're not ready. You can't handle what is coming? How many of you have seen the miraculous move of God in your life that you can only attest to him? How many of you have also seen yourself go through struggle that if you saw it coming, you would have head for the hills? Both intended to grow you, to pay homage to the one who's due our honor and respect and to stretch us to give him more room to move. That we would stop stiff-arming. That we'd allow him to let it happen. Whatever you will, so be it. I don't have an agenda and I'm not asking you to just bellhop my bags. You didn't let anything go with your disciples as you sent them. I got nothing to lose. Wherever you send me, I'll go. I am completely behind your leading. Not the other way around. It's not my kingdom I'm asking you to fit into. I'm just humbly grateful that I have a daddy who loves me and I come to him in prayer expecting and anticipating and whatever he's going to do, I know I have life in Christ and I'm excited to follow him wherever he may take me and whatever he will do. One of the things that I find is the largest hangups and, and this is great because it shows that Jesus knew us better than maybe we even know ourselves he says, in order to pray like me, to live like me, you have to be able to forgive like me. Forgive those who have sinned against, will forgive those who have sinned against us just as you have forgiven us. Then Peter came to him in Matthew 18 and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who was owed 10,000 talents or a life debt. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded him to be sold, his wife, his children into slavery, that 
that they could pay the debt once it was paid. The servant fell down before him, crying out, Master, please have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave him, said debt. I'm going to say again, Jesus said the kingdom is like this. But then the servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, or two months worth of wages at most, laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, have patience with me and I will pay you it all. And he would not. He went and threw him into prison till he should pay all the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, listen, they were grieved. And came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you a life debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? This example is simply this. Jesus is saying, this world will end and it is temporal. Anything that someone has done against you in this time is also ending and it's temporal. It equates to about two months worth of salary as opposed to what I forgave in you. I forgave an eternity of debt that you could never repay. And my kingdom is those people are continually cognizant of that so that they'll let the stuff around them go. And it's not, it's not that we're not to hold people accountable. But it is that we are to give expecting nothing in return. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know difficult people? How many of you struggle with forgiveness just a little bit? How many of you, as I said, difficult people, you already had a mental picture of who I'm talking about? Their faces pop up in your mind and you go, how in the world can I? But you don't know what they've done. He does. Jesus said you're to love your enemy. I love how Bob Goff said it. Here's another quote from him. It's a little more palatable. He says, love difficult people because you are one. How many of you can recognize that you caused Jesus a little bit of difficulty? <laughs> An eternity's worth of difficulty that he was willing to forgive because we begged him to. And we hold so far less against our brother or sister in our relationships, lose hope. You see, a world in bondage, when it sees the church unwilling to forgive like Jesus forgave them, loses hope. When the world around us, enslaved by sin, who knows how to talk about other people and knows how to fight for its own rights and justice, sees the church doing the same, shows no difference. You see, unless we're willing to forgive like Jesus, we'll never live like Jesus and we'll never listen to the things the Father's asking us to do. I was incredibly difficult for the Lord. My life was in constant opposition to him. But 
when I came to a place where I could no longer deny him, my response was, Lord, what would you have me do? Much like Paul's. And that's the response of the church. Every day, every minute, every second. That's what the world deserves. That's what the world should see within our body. And I believe that this church is different. But will we say yes when he begins to answer, what will you have me do? Who is it I need to forgive so that I create space? How do I need to follow you into forgiving the very difficult people in my life who have hurt me so that I can live like you, love like you, and continue to listen as you continue to speak? You see, when we're unwilling to forgive, I'll go so far, but God, not that far. This morning I have for you this morning is this, or the question I have this morning is this. If you weren't too difficult for Jesus, why are they too difficult for you? And are we, the church, going to offer hope? Because when we ask God today for forgiveness, He willingly, like a daddy, comes, lets us sit in His knee, and He forgives. But we willingly withhold that forgiveness from those in our lives who, I didn't say they deserved it. Well, we offer it freely, as, as freely as he offered it to us. God has called us, his church, to bring heaven to earth. And quite honestly, unless we're a church willing to submit and say, let it happen... I don't know that the world has much hope of seeing what heaven is actually like. But when the church says, your kingdom, let it happen, I believe the world becomes incredibly hopeful. Evidence of heaven to earth means submission to Jesus by his church. How can we submit to that? Or better said, whom we never listen to. It's very hard to know as you're directed when you never take the time to hear your directions.